Paul would say in Galatians that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. He never says that we need to follow the law to be saved. As a matter of fact, he says that following the law is impossible. He even says in Romans chapter 7, the good that I would, I do not, and the good and the bad that I would not, that I do. So he knows that um, following the law is a futile effort. If you have your Bibles with you, if you will turn to Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. We're going to finish chapter 14, and we're going to begin chapter 15 today. It's hard to believe we reached the halfway point of the book of Acts. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, which seems to be a recurring theme here, is that you have some success. And then conflict arises. So Paul is finishing his first missionary journey. And as he's finishing, um, we're going to see that there's going to be some opposition to him. And that seems to be the way that life goes. When we have some success in our life, then there is opposition often. Um, to test us, but also simply because the devil doesn't like us to succeed. So, um, Paul's mission completed and the conflict arises is how I've simply titled this message. And the first point um, deals with Paul wrapping up his first missionary journey. So Paul wraps up his first missionary journey. Let's read in Acts 14, verse, I think I, I may have said 23, so we'll start there, even though the passage officially starts in 24. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed throughout Poseidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atelia and then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come, they had gathered the church together and rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. So Paul is coming home from his first missionary journey. He's giving um, uh, reports of what God has done. Now I know we have missionaries that come to our churches and do the same thing. I remember specifically growing up in the Baptist church that often happened. And it's, it happens here with the brethren as well. You send out missionaries, you want to know how they are doing, so they come and give reports of what it is that God has done. 
But I want to point out something very specific in verse 27, because it leads very well into chapter 15, and that is, um, they gathered the church together and rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. To this point, for most Christians, they are Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and uh, Jesus even said to the Phoenician woman, I'm come to reach the lost sheep of Israel. Of course, Jesus would would later say, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, but I wonder if as the disciples are hearing that at that point, that they are thinking more closed terms. Like they're thinking, this means all the Jewish world. And of course, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God used persecution to separate the church and to make them go to different places. But Peter had gone to Cornelius, as we know, in chapter 10, and had shared with him the gospel. And Peter's going to come up in our passage today because he's going to rehearse those events to the people who are gathered. But I just want you to think about the fact that the Gentiles being saved was an open door. Can we look at Galatians 3, 28 and 29? Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Paul wrote the book of Galatians to Jews who were starting to trend back toward Judaism. And so that's why it's very relevant today to look at Galatians as well. So Galatians 3, 28 to 29. We are all one in Christ. Now sadly, there are those that name the name of Christ who believe that Peter and Paul preached separate gospels. Even though Paul said, if anyone preaches a gospel other than which I have preached to you, let him be accursed. And Peter and Paul affirmed one another's ministries, giving testimony to the fact that they are preaching one gospel. We are all one in Christ. This is an important thing to know. I found this really neat story. It's somewhat humorous. It says an Englishman who boasted that he did not believe in God once visited the Fiji Islands. As he saw the natives going to church with their Bibles in their hands, he exclaimed, the Bible is no good and your religion about Christ is false. To this, a simple native teacher answered, it is a good thing for you that we have left our heathenism and cannibalism and took, our, and took to our Bibles and Christianity 
else you would be clubbed, cooked in a native oven and eaten. So this story just speaks to the transformation that God does in a life when um, Jesus enters. I know I mentioned this before, but if you have the chance to listen to Unshackled, you will find over and over again that God takes a hopeless situation um, and makes it hopeful. The take on at the end of the show is that they produce the show so that if your life is empty, it can be overflowing. Because what did Jesus say? He said, in your, in your belly will flow rivers of water and you will overflow. And that's what he wants for each of us. So now we're going to learn a little bit about the Judaizers. And again, some of these people still exist where they think that they can combine Jesus Christ with the law and that that makes for a quote-unquote perfect Christianity. But the reality is that we are one in Christ not one in the law. I'm reminded of the scene in Pilgrim's Progress where Pilgrim uh, follows worldly wiseman's advice and decides to climb the hill of legality. And as he's trying to climb the hill, he's not making any progress. And then there's this burning sulfur at the top of the hill that literally drives him backwards. An evangelist comes and says, why are you going this way? There's no relief for your burden in this direction. The only relief is through the crucified one, Jesus Christ. So, the second point, Acts 15.1-5, the Judaizer, Judaizer, the Judaizers demand circumcision. Now, it's important to point out that um, in Acts chapter 6, I believe it is, it says that many of the priests uh, were converted. And it was pointed out to me as I was studying this and listening to another sermon on this topic that many of these people that might have thought, well, we need to um, make sure that they emphasize circumcision it could very well be that they were priests. That this was their... Um, they didn't want to totally give up the law because it's what they knew backwards and forwards. So, here's what it says. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles and that and they cause great joy unto all the brethren. So again, they're continuing to share the gospel as they're traveling up to Jerusalem. 
they go once again to Samaria, which, as we know, is a a place where um, they are known as half breeds, half Jewish, half Gentile, and Jews often avoid it. But it says they went through Samaria, and there was great joy in the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and of the elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose up a certain of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise and then to command them to keep the law of Moses. So we have this situation where they're debating, do we keep the law of Moses? Paul would say in Galatians that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. He never says that we need to follow the law to be saved. As a matter of fact, he says that following the law is impossible. He even says in Romans chapter 7, the good that I would, I do not, and the, good, and the bad that I would not, that I do. So he knows that um, following the law is a futile effort. So, as we continue through this, we see this is the situation. We've got Gentile believers coming into the church, and the Jews don't know how to respond. I don't know about you, but every once in a while there's somebody that you hear about and you're like, well, there, there's almost no way they can be saved. They're so turned against God. Paul experiences, actually. Paul uh, was converted down the road to Damascus, and then the church didn't want to accept him. Barnabas had to come alongside and say, you need to accept them. This is real. So it's kind of interesting that Paul and Barnabas are the ones that are tasked with going to this council. Um, if you could look at Galatians 5, 1 to 4, Galatians 5, 1 to 4, this is a little bit more about uh, liberty. So, in, in John chapter 1 it says, The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Paul is echoing that here, and he's saying, If you believe that you need to be circumcised to be saved, all your circumcision is a physical act. And he would talk in other passages about the circumcision of the heart and how we need a heart change, <clears throat> not a physical change. Now, there's a lot of evidence as to 
the physical benefits for boys of thing of something like circumcision. Of, like circumcision. There's evidence that eating kosher can be a healthy way to eat. Um, because God, obviously, when he put together the dietary rules for the Jews, he was not just coming up with stuff to come up with stuff. He had reasons for why he said what he said. But as far as a, a salvific purpose, as far as a purpose to bring you salvation, God said, call not unclean or common that which I have called clean. And the, the overall illustration for Peter in that vision of the sheep was your Gentile brothers are clean by the same way you are by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that is an important thing for us to know as we are continuing on. And in my on my podcast lately I've been talking about some of the the myths of modern Christianity. Um, there are certain preachers who embrace Christian universalism, which is basically I'll take some Christian principles and say that they apply to everybody. But Jesus said if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You can't disciple an unregenerate person in Christianity. It does not work. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said in his morning and evening devotional, the law repels, the gospel attracts. The law shows the distance which there is between God and man. The gospel brings that awful chasm, bridges that awful chasm, and brings the sinner across it. So, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about how God took our sin and all the things that are against us, and nailed them to the cross. And that is what Charles Spurgeon is illustrating here. We cannot follow the law. We are not perfect. But we are still commanded to be perfect. So what does that mean? We need an intermediary who is perfect. And there is one mediator between God and man the man, Christ Jesus. That is it. Okay. Our third section, Peter gives testimony, Acts 15, 6-11. Acts 15, 6-11. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 
and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. So, the method and the means to salvation is the grace of Christ. That is it. That is the only way. That is the only way. You notice Peter says some very specific things. He says, first of all, God made choice among us that the Gentiles should hear by my mouth the word of the gospel and believe. This is the Gentiles believe. And then he talks about the fact that God knows the heart. You know, when you look at the gospel, you see Jesus reacting to something <coughs> often in a very severe way that you're like, why did he react that way? Like, when he told the rich young ruler to sell all that he had, was he saying that it was wrong to have things? No, but he saw the man's heart. And he saw that the things that he had were more important than his relationship with God. And that he had pride in his heart for the riches that he had. It even says, Matthew summarizes, I believe it was Matthew, and the man went away sorrowing because he had much riches. And then Peter says, he put no difference between us and them. Us and them. This ends any discussion about whether there are two different There's no difference between us and them. Then, I find this very interesting, verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Who does that sound like? Peter is essentially quoting Jesus when he talked to the Pharisees. And he says, You profess to love me, but your hearts are far from me. And the yoke that you put on the people, no one is able to bear. See, these people thought that they were perfect, they thought that they were good, they thought that they were righteous, but Jesus is like, you're not even bearing this yoke. And you're putting um, it on other people and you're sending people to hell because of it. And then he says, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. There's only one way to be saved and that's through Jesus Christ. Anybody gives you any other method 
any other way to self-realization or whatever the, the term is that they use, they're wrong. Because only the grace of Jesus Christ matters. And Peter is a good person to be sharing this as well because he denied even knowing Jesus. With all the apostles, he forsook Jesus and fled. And yet Jesus took him and said, Peter, I'm going to use you. And Peter preached on Pentecost, and 5,000 men besides women and children were saved. And Peter goes to Cornelius at the behest of God, and Cornelius and his household are saved. So God is using an imperfect person as he does often. All the time, actually, because none of us are perfect. Can we look at Acts 10, 44-48? Acts 10, 44-48. This is just to refresh us on more details of Peter's story that he's relating to relating to us at this time. Acts 10, 44-48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked him to remain for some days. So, Peter is relating this experience here in Acts chapter 15. He says, this is what happened. I, I think it was that, that's what was so important about the filling of the Holy Spirit in a very specific, physical, dramatic way at this point in history. Some denominations believe that God still works that way, but I think the primary reason for it in the book of Acts was to show the disciples that each one of these groups is legitimately a part of it. When there was a, a work in Samaria, some of the apostles went from Jerusalem to Samaria to see it. When Peter went to Cornelius, he brought some of his Jewish brethren. They were there to marvel. They were there to be witness of this fact. Old Testament says, at the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every thought be established. And, and Peter doesn't hinder them from baptism, which is one of the first things that salvation should compel us to do. He actually says, bring us water so that we can baptize them. 
I think there's a lot of muddled beliefs about baptism, and that's probably why we have the modern understanding of a baptism class. But if you look in the book of Acts, you find that people are converted, and immediately they are baptized. And I think that is a significant thing. I think one thing that we kind of need to get past is it's not our responsibility to make sure that someone is righteous enough to be baptized. They are responsible to God for making the decision. And in the case of Ethiopian eunuch, and in the case of Paul, and in the case of Cornelius, we see salvation, filling of the Holy Spirit, which that's another thing that we need to be very clear about. The Holy Spirit comes to a person when they are converted. First Corinthians, I believe, or is it Ephesians? I'm kind of blanking right now, but says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise when we are converted. And so, I trust this encourages you today. We will continue on uh, in this study next month. And uh, we will see the decision of the council. And uh, I think it's important to recall, to realize the things that they do say and the things as well that they don't say. But the most important thing that I want to get across is that we are all saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we are the poorest of paupers or whether we are the richest of rich people, we are all saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. F.F. Bruce had this to say. He said, Paul's claim was that the message he preached was the authentic gospel of Christ. It is this. Two things on which Paul preeminently insisted, that salvation was provided by God's grace and that faith was the means by which men appropriated it. Salvation was dependent upon God's grace and faith is the means by which men appropriated it. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is the God with whom we have to do. And I trust today that you are walking with him that you are trusting him, that you are saved by his grace, that you are not relying on how good you can be, 
but you're not relying on yourself not to lose your salvation. I was watching a video not too long ago by Bonnie Bauckham. And he said this. He said, if you don't think, or if you think that you can lose your salvation, how do you know you haven't lost it? How much better than the people around you do you have to be to not lose it? The reality is that we all fall short. And that it's only by the grace of God that we're able to experience and enjoy salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that as we march through Acts, you have been with us every step of the way. And I pray that you would bless us as we go our separate ways, bless our week, um, help us with all the things that we face, all the trials that lay ahead. Help us to know your presence and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.